Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to a sci-fi series we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all young, and now, in 2020, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective as grown-up fans. Before we get in to start talking about this episode, uh, episode eight, the battle <laughs> for season one, uh, let's let's introduce our panel. Uh, and you hear Eric laughing, so I will go to you first, Eric. Hi. I'm sorry. I know it wasn't my cue yet, but I was tickled. Um, it's good to see you, everybody. I'm very excited to talk about this episode, Greg. Thanks. Me too. Uh, let us all also meet and or say hi to Kate. Hi, Kate. <laughs> hi, how, how are, are you? you? I'm doing moderately all right. Oh, good. <laughs> I just wanted you to know that now that we have fans, it's gone straight to my head. So um, fuck all of you. <laughs> you are all... Perfect. Awesome people. I <laughs> completely take away what you just said. <laughs> no, I meant, I meant, I meant actively you four. Love oh. our fans. Oh, no, well, but... I, I, it's all gone to my head as in I, I, I run this podcast now as far as I'm concerned. Who rules Bardot Town? <laughs> Kate rules Bardot Town. Hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Looking forward to talking about this show. It's actually one of my favorites. It is a real, real good one, uh, or at least I, I think for me, it is uh, one of the episodes that feels very much uh, in line with um, some sci-fi wonderfulness, right? Like there's a problem, it's all develops, and we get a nice kind of resolution near the end, as well as getting a lot of world building around uh, specifically, specifically the character of uh, Captain Picard, uh, which I really appreciated. Uh, but we'll get to all of that. Uh, first, the details. The battle is this Ooh. one. It is Stardate 41723.9. First aired on November 16th, 1987. Back in time. It received a Nielsen rating of 10.5. So right in that same kind of middle spot that we've seen the ratings be as it was uh, first uh, being broadcast. Um, but some fun, amazing stuff was happening in 1987, specifically the day of November 16th. Let me ask you guys uh, if you remember this. I don't remember the specific date, but I definitely remember this relationship as being something that I paid attention to. Actress Lisa Bonet married Lenny Kravitz yes! on November 16th. A thousand percent. Oh, my God. I didn't realize it was that early. Good for them. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. She was fresh on on off of uh, uh, the Cosby Show, or still in the middle of the Cosby Show, as as it were. Right. Uh, she was the older uh, sibling. I think she went off to college soon after this. <laughs> yes. With the, Second with oldest, of course, under Sandra, came Denise, who then went off to uh, a different, different world. world. Yeah. Was she on it, or had she made her exit because of her appearance in the? There is a movie where she did a nudity scene with like the devil and uh, she wasn't uh, oh. brought back to the Cosby show after that. Uh, maybe because uh, it felt a little too close to home to Bill Cosby. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> In retrospect. I don't remember. I don't remember the details of a lot of that stuff. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I And I absolutely don't remember like the time period of the spinoff. Yeah, you know, I remember what spun right. off what, 
but but I'm I get a lot of stuff wrong. Like I forget that Cheers went all the way to like 1994 or some shit. Like I don't think of it as going that long. But it really did. Uh, yeah. So all that stuff dovetails in a weird way, and I don't like to examine. And <laughs> Lenny and Lisa's daughter now gearing up for the new Batman movie. She's all grows up. Zoe Kravitz, right? Zoe. Zoe. Oh, she's fantastic. She's uh, a yeah. isn't she with uh, Jason Momoa? No, that's Lisa oh. Bonet, right? Oh, that is right. Is that Lisa, right? I don't know. Mama. Now we're going to have to look it up. Mama is from... with uh, my well, son and stars. Mama can get some. <laughs> <laughs> that's all mamas. I still remember her fondly from uh, uh, the Chicago movie. Mo- uh, You're going to say hi, Fidel. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, she's wonderful in that. Yeah. She's always great. Yeah, big fan. Uh, here's something you probably also remember, though, Eric. Uh, George Bell oh. was uh, voted the first MVP for the American League, the first Blue Jay uh, for the American League MVP this week. Uh, this week? Yeah. How old is he? <laughs> <laughs> this week in 1987, I mean to say, of course. Oh, sure. No, that makes sense. And That's awesome. I do remember that. Big deal, uh, and then Andre Dawson uh, won it for the uh, for the NL. I remember when he finally got into the Hall of Fame. I like vividly remember that week because it was, you know, not not long uh, after I'd left home for college, and uh, it was just <laughs> nothing but ESPN on a Saturday, if I remember correctly. And it was just really fun to watch him get inducted in the Hall of Fame. I loved him as a player. I do remember that too. Yeah, and he was the only he was the first player from a last placed club to win the MVP, which was which was also pretty interesting because he was on the Chicago Cubs. That's very cool. I'd forgotten that stat, if I ever knew it. <laughs> I had no reason I should have known that ever. And then uh, November 15th, so two days after, sorry, November 18th, two days after this aired, uh, there was a big fire at the King's Cross station in the London Tube, uh, the underground. 31 people perished in that. Uh, and then... A congressional committee reported on the Iran-Contra affair. So this was really starting to ramp up uh, as as kind of overtaking U.S. politics uh, in the final years of the Reagan administration. And uh, you know how that got kind of put to an end a couple years later. Of course, that was that was Attorney General Bill Barr mm-hmm. ending the final uh, investigations into that lovely little arena. Isn't that great? Yay. It all comes around full History circle. History's a horseshoe. <laughs> Why learn things? It's terrible when douchebags linger. <laughs> yeah. That's such a great segue into the content of this episode, The Battle, honestly. It is! Right? There is some lingering douchery. There's lingering douchery happening here, <laughs> and it depends on how you remember the past. Uh, this episode, the battle, uh, is referred to as, uh, uh, you know, the, the battle of the uh, Stargazer uh, that was the former command of Jean-Luc Picard. Um, the teleplay was written by Herbert J. Wright uh, with a story by Larry Forrester. Uh, and a little note there about the writing of this episode. Um, it was uh, originally called Ghost Ship, which I think is a better title yeah. than The Battle. Oh, absolutely. Who doesn't want to watch a Ghost Ship episode? I mean, we all love the fog and we love, you know, all, all the variations of that 
story, you know, we we come upon a derelict thing and there are things that are still alive there. Like, it feels like you just throw Lance Henriksen in it and you can make a couple million bucks right now. I think the only way to make it better is if it was called the ghost ship battle. So then you still get the battle in there. Come on now. What's better than a ghost ship? A ghost ship battle. Boom. Boom. On fire. (laughs) Uh, It was directed by Rob Bowman, uh, who said something pretty interesting, which I liked in that how they shot the scenes upon the Stargazer were done with a Steadicam. And he thinks he was maybe the first director to use Steadicam on uh, the next generation. Uh, but he did that specifically to make it feel different than the other ships, uh, specifically the Enterprise and how that was portrayed. Um, but it also shows off the bridge of the Stargazer. And it's really just a redress of a set we have seen many times before, probably most recently on uh, Encounter in Farpoint, where it's the battle bridge just redressed up a little bit but it's also the set of the enterprise for the first four star trek movies oh which is interesting because they wanted to use the original model from the motion picture as the uh constitution class starship stargazer when they first wrote it and then the uh model builders uh, did um convinced them not to use a constitution class starship and not reuse that four foot model but let them build a new class of starship uh, which they then called the constellation so it would it would look the same when they went and overdubbed the words when said by wesley and geordie so it went to constellation class and they copied a tiny model that they had built for encounter at farpoint and put in captain picard's ready room and they turned that into a new class of starship for this episode so interesting, right? How the weird production reasons end up being canon in a story like this. Absolutely. It's super cool. And the designers were Andy Probert and Rick Sternbach. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced those, but I found that history so interesting. As Jimmy's putting away his Star Trek Next Generation companion book. <laughs> were you double checking me, Jimmy? That's confirmed. <laughs> what you drinking uh this evening i'm drinking uh little crikey from hometown brewer rubens excellent like that. light ipa what about you kate i am drinking a che- cherry vanilla coke zero with vodka in it i'm very much a fan wow. of the coke zero family They've got a nice uh, orange and a nice vanilla uh, cherry, uh, a nice vanilla. You just throw some alcohol in those. Great mixers. Do you happen to know if they have any caffeine-free? Oh, they do. They but do. That's just, caffeine-free Coke Zero. Just, co- just, just in Guys, the Coke Zero original flavor. Just, okay. just have just some water. <laughs> How I have water you? all how the time. You? you know how bored I am? <laughs> I had to give up caffeine when I was like 14. I know. And then but I had to need... give up drinking when I was like 40. And now all I have is like lemonade. You don't have to have brown lemonade. liquid. Lemonade's brown fine. liquid that's masquerading as, as something else. Yes, I do. Eric. I do have to have Eric. That. Yeah. <laughs> Eric. Yes. Jimmy. Jimmy. You need to invest in Psalm drinking vinegars. P-S-A-L-M. P-A-S-L-M. S-O-M. 
from Pock Pock in Oregon. Sure. It is incredible. Do you, a little bit do of, you, Jimmy, uh, yes. think that I have money? <laughs> How do you so feel? Speaking, I have invested money while I'm trying to save for a wedding. Everyone out there at Coke, uh, we are very open to uh, doing plugs for <laughs> Coke Zero going Pock. forward. <laughs> Any of the breweries? Can you get a Columbia drinking uh, vinegar sponsorship? Burn off your fat, yeah. and it tastes good too. Mm. Reengage yeah. is up for sale. We'll compare it to Romulan ale. <laughs> Anything you want, we'll make it part of the canon if we can. It's simply we'll divine, some- especially <laughs> during the summer. Canon. A little bit of soda water, a couple dashes of that. Mm, effervescent. Mm. I do like a little bit of soda water. All right, sorry to hijack all this with what we're drinking. What the hell were we talking about? I, I was going to transition to the, the guest stars uh, on this episode. The three Ferengi uh, are the most notable, of course. Uh, you see Damon Bach, uh, played by Frank Corsentino. Definitely a long career of doing small parts in shows like Trapper John MD. Yes. Vegas. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, but which one? The Vegas from the 80s or the one that started back up again in the 90s? Late 70s, yeah. early 80s. Oh, that one. Yep. Yeah. He, his when first, the S is a dollar sign. His That's first credit important. is native on uh, um, Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Woof. Uh, but he, Strong. you know, he nails uh, Damon Bach pretty well. I think he gets that uh, kind of just cheeky, uh, uh, villain esque character who's, uh, you know, hiding something from Picard uh, the whole time. And he, how, how great are those scenes in his quarters where he's like, "Now is what I'm going to turn the screws." <laughs> well, so much of this is Shakespearean, right? Mm-hmm. They they really lean into that in this episode. Like, there's there's uh, soliloquies and there is. You know, uh, a unseen force acting against our hero and our hero caught up in it. Like it's very King Lear meets like Midsummer Night's Dream. It's awesome. I'm for it. I agree. I agree. Uh, Douglas Warhit played Kazago, which was the second uh, or, or sorry, the first officer that has a, uh, you know, communication with Riker later on in the episode. But one thing I want to know, I don't know, you guys have uh, young siblings, so maybe I'm really just talking to, to Jimmy here, uh, but Robert Towers plays the second officer, and he will most recently was in an episode of Bunked, a terrible sitcom that's on the Disney Plus app. And but I got to show it to my daughters and be like, "Hey, have you guys seen this guy?" And I showed the picture of what he looks like in that uh, Bunked episode. I'm like, "He's also the Ferengi over here." Well, I'm sure I've seen it, or at least heard it in the background. Bunked is pretty big here. Uh, I absolutely have always loved being able to track people like that through various uh, TV shows. Of course, IMDb has made that so much easier, but it's it's such a neat thing to just remember where this person had two lines or five lines there. It's a delight to be able to do that throughout this rewatch. It really is. And to be able to like link, you know, this great show from 1987 to like something that came out, you know, a couple of years ago. It's super fun. This guy's had a really, really long career. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's get into talking about the actually episode itself. Um, as you mentioned, it has some Shakespearean kind of, uh, overtones to it. Uh, Kate, what did you kind of think about how we got so much of, uh, Picard's character kind of coming to the forefront in this episode? 
Well, I'm all for it, obviously, because I'm such a huge Picard fan. Uh, And it starts with them waiting, right? They've been waiting something like three days. And the first shot is Picard just reading. And it's sexy as fuck. It's just so (laughs) casual and just so like, you know, he's just leaning back in his chair and then Crusher comes in and there's just some immediate sexual tension. So I was all about that. But getting to find out there's a there's a damn maneuver named after the man, you know, to, to get to hear a little bit about his past command and uh, sort of they they teach you in the academy, um, get his bona fides that way, as they say. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great episode. We get to we get to see him in pain a lot, um, which uh, is always a great challenge for any actor to to know exactly how far to push that and how uh, and they they push it pretty far. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great episode. I love his vulnerability actually oh, in yeah. this episode more than anything else. Like he, you see for the first time that Picard is like. You know, I'm losing it. Like, I don't know what is real, what is what is actually happening in front of me. And that that kind of vulnerability that he displays with uh, Crusher um, kind of in the middle of the episode, that that really struck a, a chord for me because I'm like, here's a here's a guy who who, you know, exhibits so much of this tough guy, uh, you know, captain in charge for the first seven episodes. But, you know, we get to see him kind of laid bare pretty quick. It's It's great. Yes, it's Jimmy, something did... I saw at the beginning of the episode too. Like it started right away. That that very very Alec Guinness moment he has when they talk about the Battle of Maxia, and he goes, "The Battle of Maxia," and it, he almost goes, "Well, that's a name I have <laughs> in a long time." time. He has one you of those know, moments too on, on the Stargazer too, where he's like, "Hello, uh-huh. old friend." <laughs> yeah, when he goes into the his own. What does he say? He says. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm go. I'm going to look into my old cabin <laughs> and wanders off as he's given orders to everyone else too. It's wonderful. It's very King Lear again. It's yeah. great. It's like going to your dorm room uh, if you haven't been there for five years and be like, I'm gonna go to see where I used to live. Or John Bender getting the weed out of his locker. Yes. <laughs> or or no, yeah, John Bender does that, and so does uh, they. They reference that in uh, the John Cusack, right? Uh, Gross Point Blank. Yep. Uh, Jimmy, what did you think of the Ferengi, who I know are your favorite uh, antagonists in Star Trek: Next Generation so far? <laughs> right. So far. Uh, I thought it's still overall weak in in comical like this still isn't a replacement for the romulans or the the klingons um however they take a different tact which i found great in that they they bring in revenge as the key motive for an individual not for the race of the ferengi so we have daemon bach who's we don't know immediately but ultimately it's revealed he's uh the instigator of all of this and i thought this is a this is a really fun device to for a character and for the development of these guys it could have been much more uh, uh him going after revenge for um from his point of view uh, he's mis- he's trying to rewrite what happened but understandably because the circumstances uh so i liked what they did because um one he was smart enough to trick the federation into doing what he needed to do which this this means now 
in the annals of the Federation's understanding, these people, you need to proceed with caution. Um, mm. Because the first encounter, we mistakenly thought they might be more powerful than they are. That wasn't because of them. That was the plan, you know, was happened down on the planet. But the second time we meet them, they or an individual was able to take control of one of our captains uh, and almost have him fight his own ship. Uh, and that is pretty diabolical and something that, you know, you have to be wary of. Like now for moving forward, however comical they are, they've done something that at least one of them where when you only have an encounter of six, you know, three in the first one, which is great. Like they always travel in threes, <laughs> three in the first <laughs> one and the three in the second one. Like they're like witches. Right. It's it's dangerous. And I want to get back to it later because. I have a great amount of disappointment with the way it ultimately resolved. And I think they mm. they supremely dropped the ball and could have made this uh, much more profound for the, the understanding of the Ferengi as a whole. And they just let that and fall the through the future. water. Yeah, they let it just slip and through the their hands. the future of Ferengi Federation yeah. stuff could have been improved at the end right. of this too. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and then the I one says, thing I want to, one more thing, just because I am a naysayer. I love that immediately <laughs> at the top of the episode, we get yet another <laughs> reference of, I'm the only one who can give you orders, Jean-Luc. She doesn't say Jean-Luc in this one, but again, she drops it like, boom, hey, I'm the only one who can give you an order. And I'm saying you need to go to the sick bay. Yeah, so, and then he's I like, duty, duty calls. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think that was flirting though, right? Right, Kate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was absolutely on par of like the, don't bullshit a bullshitter, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I caught a moment very early on uh, when we first meet uh, Damon Bach um, that uh, Troy is the one who closes the hailing frequencies. Yet another instance where we just catch Troy having a, a, a supreme amount of uh, of power given to her status uh, and, and what, what role she plays. I just, it, I had to rewind to be sure right. I saw it right, but she's the one that gives the like, nut no, cut it, something's not right here. And, it, and she says, I sense some deceptions. Like, we all sense that, Diana. <laughs> Everybody senses that, you know, a culture that supposedly cares only about money, they want to give us a ship. We're all suspicious. Give us some information. Maybe she's just confirming. <laughs> right. Yeah, you guys are all, your feelings are right. I'm feeling it too. And we've, again, with that big white screen with the Ferengi. Like, yeah. I love, I, I want to see, uh, at what point do we go into one of their ships? Because <gasps> at this point, all I can imagine is that it's just blindingly light. Like, uh, every surface is painted just white. Right. Well, Kate, and there it's, are... it's funny you should mention that because they actually, for this episode, filmed scenes on the Ferengi ship and then they deleted them. No. Because oh, it didn't work? It didn't work. That's what I was actually reading in the in the book. Uh, <laughs> they had filmed a couple of scenes <laughs> in the on the ship and uh, it just didn't make the cut. Um, you know, and this again leads into some of that disappointment where this could have really given us some insight or a look into their culture and how things operate and really work other than the blinding, you know, white light, which we now in the COVID days know as, oh, <laughs> you didn't clean up your living room before the meeting. Right. So now you just have the blur on. <laughs> and right. So maybe their yeah. ship is just always a shambles. They're messy people. I mean, this is what they do. I mean, I don't want to generalize. 
but they're messy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is fascinating to see them having to do the tropes of like, oh, we must make a profit and things like that. But that's very important to the plot uh, eventually by the end because uh, uh, through all of the tribulations of of Picard going to the to the Stargazer and trying to find out who what what has really happened and why this this ship is here, uh, the the whole mission is starting to be suspect by the other Ferengi, right? And so that that's basically how they outdo them is by capitalism. <laughs> yeah, and that's that t- today's beautiful liberal fantasy that I wish were true in in the Star Trek future. Yeah. You know, I wish it were true today is that the you know, the the moral corporate backbone exists behind the worst impulses of the CEO to check them as opposed to what we often see is those people enable and push and make it even worse, uh, even if it hurts the profits of the company. So like, I love that in this future, there is a moral backbone to this group that comes forward and takes care of this guy at the end of it. Yeah. What did, I mean, you know, in the context of the Iran-Contra hearing that we were, you know, just re- referring to earlier, um, this hit a little bit different for me when we get the log from Picard that he knew what was going on, right? The, 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 the allegedly falsified log that Damon Bach puts in there that he knew about the ship, knew that uh, what he was going to do was going to destroy uh, all of the inhabitants of that ship. For me, as a kid, when I was watching this, I was like, no, I mean, I, I reacted like Riker did where he's like, no, there's no way Captain Picard would ever do anything like this. But Watching it this time, I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, of course, maybe you know, he he's not infallible." Yeah, I did have a moment where because I, I this is one of those episodes that I didn't remember very clearly where I went, "Oh, this is a game changer," and immediately you know, altering of the uh, of the data and 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 of the facts and things. I you know I I, I definitely went there for for a little while. Uh, and then I remembered deep fakes exist and fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Like we have we have now a show where deep fakes make that not a difficult thing to imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, we already have the pocket computers from this show. We already have the universal translators in a lot of ways. We already have all kinds of stuff that we think of as being so science fictiony. It's reality now. So the science fictiony part is the board of directors taking down the CEO for corporate malfeasance. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the part that I don't quite buy. That's crazy. Um, well, another thing that is, you know, uh, in this new future is apparently no headaches. No headaches. headaches don't exist. They've been wiped out. Medicine, modern, like the common cold. Oh, no, they're just rare. Yeah, she hasn't seen one in a long. They're just long rare. They haven't wiped time. out. Yeah. Great. I don't see them very much. Now, why do you think that is? Is that from uh, treatment? <laughs> like, because it doesn't seem like they. It is like, oh, if you have a headache, really you just you know, touch this, and all of a sudden your headache goes away. Like she kind of does, but like, how? Maybe they're just really hydrated oh. in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Greg, it's because they understand pain in the future. That's what Isn't she that says. What like, we, know. Says, we understand pain, <laughs> which is, you know, a clumsy attempt to like, this is one of the many ways in which the future is different. Right. There's no, and you don't, you know, and it's kind of cool that they don't spend a lot of time on it. It's a throwaway. Yeah. Oh, I don't see that very much anymore. And it's like, oh, okay. From that, we can surmise 
a lot of stuff. So, oh, you've gotten rid of, and she says about yeah. the common cold, like it's yeah. like the common cold. Oh, so that's gone too. You know, you throw away those lines. It's Scotty yeah. with the the mouse attached to the computer, and it's Bones walking through the hospital, right? Yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. My God, what is your degree <laughs> in <barbers>. dentistry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fascinating to me. But I think, Greg, more important than the cure of headaches is why on earth would Jean-Luc abandon the Stargazer with arms on board? And not scuttle the ship, meaning he should have had a more responsibility. If we have to abandon ship, we have to self-destruct it as we go away because we cannot leave a ship out here with a whole bunch of weapons. Just it's like Connery taught space. him nothing. <laughs> right. Like, come on. You can't do that. I mean, that's a fireable offense. It's true. And I think they tried to uh, explain that away uh, with a novel. Uh, in the Buried Age, a novel, they actually tried to explain that Picard had set it to crash into a planet, but it bounced mm. off the atmosphere. Uh, and and Damon Bach actually discovered it soon after, uh, and so they didn't address it until later. And then they're like, "Oh shit, we yeah, gotta write a book." We, the whole rethink. We need to get a book in there to get this detail out. <laughs> we gotta take care of this, dude. I love it. Yeah, uh, it is interesting uh, to what happens to Wesley Crusher <gasps> in this episode. What Wesley? What? He he does two really cool oh. things where he he's starting to figure out long range sensors. Cool. And Data's like, wait, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. Data has, first of all, first of all, this is the outfit, y'all. Y'all, this is the outfit. This is just the classic, just, it's what I picture him in uh, when I think back to those days. When do you picture him? Uh, It's fine. (laughs) Just when I'm, when I'm thinking back on the future. Uh, What? (laughs) It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes, and but we finally get the iconic outfit, and then he comes in and he says the best fucking thing after he's been working on the long range scanning. Uh, he comes in to sick bay and he says, "I don't know much about brain scans, but and then, and then like but I, proceeds, but I figured to, like, it out. Have figured out everything, and." <laughs> Yes. Oh, then they theory. run away and he says you're welcome ladies pause 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 adults oh my god it's yeah. so good who it's is he saying so that to I had that, I had that written down I'm like when he says you're welcome ladies I have this like reflexive wait 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 Wesley and then he goes adults, adults am I right and I'm like okay good save man that's brilliant is that is that a breaking the fourth wall moment like, who is he saying that line to? Is he saying it to himself? Because he's, he's looking weirdly off soliloquy. camera. <laughs> the world's, it's, it's Shakespearean. I feel like it's when a toddler practices com- comedic timing, like to themselves, walking down a hallway. <laughs> That's what we're witnessing in this moment. Yeah. That almost makes me like the moment. Thank you. <laughs> I figure you certainly, Jimmy, have come upon Harper oh. and Ella like working on yes. the comedic timing at some point. Well, just their acting. Like Harper will start crying and go, did you believe that, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, just, you know, get a master's. That's all I can tell you. That's it. Right. <laughs> I will say, 
say uh, Wesley gets uh, sort of reamed out a little bit, like they in that initial scene. Yeah. Because and they they call him Picard calls him like clear on it when he says the protocol would be to let us know, you know, let the the calms. Yeah, he's calm, so let us know. But you wanted to be up here so that maybe you could be a part of what's about to happen, which right. I just thought was a, a nice little burn. Yeah. And then he I sits know! down. <laughs> he's like, I don't know where you're... Go back to no, your room. <laughs> you fucked so up. Great. Go back to your room. There's no <laughs> Just sit down. <laughs> I don't care if you did stand by me. I don't care. Go to your room. I thought the same thing. It's I so think weird. what happens in moments like that is that Riker looks at this kid and sees himself because two seconds later, Riker turns around and is at the very front of the bridge with his arms doing the big arms thing that, that Eddie Izzard talks about from The Last Supper with his hip beveled off to the side and like both uh, of the crew members that he's touching their chairs are looking up at him like, what are you doing, man? And he's just, he's just, Get out of my there space. is an overabundance of confidence from this man that I think Wesley can't help but pick up on when he's a 13 year old looking for male role models. Now, did anybody know the special um, significance of Wesley's uniform? Because I did not until this very night. I had no, no idea that it actually has significance. The, the three colors on the the stripes signify the confluence of his studies of command level engineering level and medical oh. and so it's red gold and blue whereas anyone else just has the one color because they are on a single track but because he's boy wonder he's recognized as achieving in oh, all, he's all the shades majoring. of the uniforms he's triple major yes he's triple majoring so even down to the costume they just, you know, like, they could not do, but they had to put the Christ stamp on him. Like, even the costume. It. Uh, I did read that uh, Will Wheaton uh, stated that this was the episode where it turned, uh, at least maybe for him, uh, where he thought that where he was mildly annoying as a character, you know, just as a plucky young teenager, <laughs> this is the episode <laughs> that he's he's written not very well that weird adulting line and then <laughs> the fact that he's just the deus ex machina at the end of this episode oh, well yeah i was gonna talk about we we have to make a, a deus ex wesleya they are extremely lucky to have young wesley on this ship he's smarter than the you're Andrew. talking about the writers right eric both <laughs> the writers and every person on that ship needs to be like giving him a wide swath in the hallways in case he bumps his head on something because they got to keep this kid around how do we solve a problem let's call wesley <laughs> <laughs> so yeah why why was it so such a lazy it feels very lazy in writing and the resolution so maybe jimmy you can go into how you how you thought about this ending and and how it could have been better yeah, I mean, so so to briefly touch back on Damon Bach, I I loved the idea of a mourning father looking for revenge for his son. This is a brilliant, uh, meaty thing for a writer and an actor to dive into. Um, it doesn't matter that he's wrong. It doesn't matter that his son most likely was the perpetrator and, and was the bad guy. It, it just doesn't matter. As a father... 
he wants revenge and he wants to rewrite that, which makes it even more interesting. It makes it more interesting that maybe he knew that it, that wasn't the truth and he just wants to reclaim his son's past, make it different and get revenge on uh, the man who took his life away and make him suffer the way that Damon Bach has suffered for these nine years. Where they fail utterly is um, in those very scenes that we had already talked about where they cut to him and he's torturing uh, Picard. It seems very of the moment, like he just discovered this a few seconds ago and he's just having fun making somebody suffer. And it, I never, I didn't get the sense of the relief you get. Um, like we've in recent history where you finally get what you've been wanting for several years and the result that you get, it, it's not a calm, like, ha ha. It, it, there's an explosion of emotion that it, it, and it's almost tragic. It can make you cry even though you're happy. And he's just, the you know twirling his mustache kind mm. of bad guy with the way he tortures Picard rather than the finally you're suffering the way my son suffered you're gonna feel what it's like when your life is dying I'm gonna make you kill your friends I'm gonna make you see what I've lived through like none of that's there and not only would it have been fun to watch and much more much more complex and deep than what they did it would have really opened the floodgates for the ferengi mm. themselves because then we have to go on the ship and see how how the second handles this we have to have a scene where we see him confront his superior and you know even if it's for the base reasons of this wasn't profitable putting somebody away and almost taking the Federation side, this this would have totally changed the game for who the Ferengi were um, early on. And as it stood, they dropped the ball on that, and we had to wait six years until uh, Deep Space Nine came on and and opened up the doors. Because it, it's we have to mention it was such a colossal failure that the writers for Deep Space Nine wrote in for the Frankie that even though they're, they're they're these capitalistic people in the history of their world there's never been a genocide they've never committed mass genocide against themselves which is something the humans or any of the other species could say about mm. themselves so as you look down your nose at them remember at least violence isn't a part of their their the most significant thing of their dna or their makeup and this was sort of like a, an apology like when the refs throw a flag later on because they miss the roughing the passer or something. You know, it's like they're just trying to say, I'm sorry for really screwing these guys up because it was such, it was, it, they just missed a great opportunity for both the writers to dig their teeth into something and, and to give another actor because, I mean, you know, again, they're really using um, Picard or Patrick Stewart as a crutch here because they're just like, here, <coughs> chew on the set. Um, because they let him go and of course he, he takes it he knocks it out of the park because that's what he does he's just a, a phenomenal actor um and, and they could have had more performances like that had they cared enough about that about the frangie but they just disregarded them which you know it says a lot about those writers and what they were thinking they weren't they didn't want to really dig down and investigate i think what did you think <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I think Jimmy, you're right. Uh, they they would have had time for that 
Uh, however, they had to linger on that final moment of Picard figuring out he has to shoot the silver ball, uh, watching him debate that with phaser, <laughs> yes. destroy, destroy, right. phaser, phaser, destroy, silver, ball, <laughs> destroy, silver. Right. I mean, you got to have time for that. So what are you going to, you're going to, some things are going to have to get cut. <laughs> right. Well, from Soho Agreed. down to Brighton. <laughs> You really have to pay attention to the silver ball as often as possible. And, uh, Picard knows that now. I mean, he couldn't have been expected to know that before, even though he is clearly by accent closest to Soho and Brighton. I mean, out of all anyway. of us. Uh, no, but he, I, I, what, do you, what do you think about his performance in this, uh, Eric, as a whole? I think he's a genius. I, you know, I, I get on my own soapbox about movie stars and, and the problems with fame interfering in narrative uh, in the minds of an audience. I think it gets in the way, but shit, fuck it. You know, <laughs> I'm going to complain about Patrick Stewart. Like the dude is awesome. He gets out there and I watch a, a movie like this and I recognize that myself at 11, like this is the year my grandfather passed away. And one of the things he oh. left me was, uh, complete works of uh, Shakespeare, and that's kind of what I ended up doing as as an adult until I was about thirty. Is mostly what I did with Shakespeare, and watching Patrick Stewart do this, I'm like, oh, I was just kind of doing a lazy homage to Patrick Stewart for you know fifteen years of my own career, <laughs> and it's probably why I don't really do it anymore because I didn't have much of my own to offer. So every, I was just like, I think this guy's pretty good. I'm going to do it his way. Every time you are uh, <laughs> delivering a monologue, uh, Shakespearean or otherwise, you're really in your head just thinking, phaser, silver ball. Destroy. <laughs> Destroy. Absolutely. Phaser. That's 100% what I'm doing. <laughs> but no, I think he's amazing in this. And, and there's something about this episode that I really like because I've, I've got a, a horror fan uh, mentality like I, I love horror and thriller uh, as as a genre and if I'm going to watch sci-fi which I absolutely dig as well I want there to be pieces of those scary genres mixed in most often and that moment where they go to computer locate Captain Picard and the computer is like Captain Picard is in transporter mm. room blah 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 and then Captain Picard is no longer on the Enterprise and everybody right. kind of looks at each other and you're just like, that's such a great trope that, that is used kind of throughout space sci-fi, you know, is, is locating a person and it's not, they're not at least not where they're expected to be. And having that put some pieces right. of the puzzle in place, um, you know, using Picard that way too. He's not even on screen and you're like, Oh my God, where's Picard? Where'd he go? And it's just a delightful experience. I love this episode. Yeah. yeah. And that brings to mind how, uh, different this episode feels right like we've had a lot of different you know sci-fi subgenres kind of explored uh over the first few episodes but you're right this one is the first one that felt very suspense thrillery uh in in, in, in how it was presented and you don't know what's happening it's this kind of mystery as well the whole time and uh i, I really appreciated that and it was directed in such a way so rob bowman did did a good job of making it feel very different uh from the the standard fare that we've been seeing yeah, and one of the few in these eight that we've seen that doesn't feel like um, TOS mm. is on their back. Um, other than the whole, they drop 
they I don't believe they're dropping the I can tell you what to do because it's flirting. I think it's a direct uh you know um opposite of TOS in that Kirk always went to the planet and that was always a bigger thing. It was like, why would your captain always be on the away right. mission? It seems very antithetical to good leadership. <laughs> uh, and so now, you know, they made it a very clear point that, you know, Riker won't let him go. He's going to take the risks. Um, and, you know, there's a person who can tell you what to do because nobody could tell Kirk what to do. Um, but this one seems like uh, they're not being straddled by TOS. It's not a script or an idea that was from TOS, which is, you know, two or three out of these first eight are, are just remakes Okay, you had something new. to say, and then we'll go to you, Eric. Uh, there's just that great scene where uh, he they, they, he finally turns the orb up to eleven, I guess, and uh, <laughs> this is before he hits the the the, the ship, but um, where he starts to relive the moment in his room with the ghostly images of his past crewmates. And the, and the talking of fire and and there's active fire in that room with him and you can see him sweating yeah. and it's just gleaming off. It's just beautifully shot. It's just a really wonderful moment that just is very different from what we've seen. Do you smell burning? Is there fire? Yeah. <laughs> Am I having a stroke? <laughs> I taste toast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bacon. Eric. In that same shot are a bunch of. Uh, you know, crew members and they were shot each individually mm-hmm. in a, a, I read it, a smoky room and then superimposed uh, in their places uh, on the bridge. And it gave, it gave it a real fun ghostly kind of feel. You know, I wouldn't have thought yeah. of them at the time being shot individually. I wouldn't have thought they would have taken the time, but it's cool that, that that's part of what they did. And then mix in what Greg was talking earlier with the Steadicam stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's some really neat shots. And I didn't, at first I didn't, I was like, why aren't they talking? You know, because they don't ever move their lips. They just, they're sitting there and then you hear the voices, but it actually adds to it that they didn't talk. It, it And it makes it more of a memory a than, flashback. Um, you know, yeah, like a, a psychotic break where you're, you're really seeing it. It, uh, so I'm glad that they, they did it that way in hindsight. For sure. Um, and they, you know, you mentioned how the Ferengi get another turn uh, in Deep Space Nine, but we actually do see a continuation of this storyline in a uh, seventh season episode. Uh, so I can't wait to get to that in this re-engage. Several hundred episodes after this one, uh, we'll get a finally a resolution. <laughs> because Damon Bach is just uh, convinced to be incarcerated. The second in command takes over, but we don't know what happens to him. He's still alive. and Right. You know uh, what? What occurs? He could still be having that white whale chasing moment, Alec, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm get Picard, one of these days. Oh no, I'm sure he goes into social work. <laughs> <laughs> he literally could have said it would have worked if it wasn't for that bastard kid. <laughs> I mean, half the villains in the episode could say that. It's true. <laughs> what were you saying in the series? Uh, I want to. I, I wanted to talk uh, sort of on that note the the bro relationship between the the first officers, or at least like that 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 he's trying to have. Riker is trying to have. I would I would sum up their. They have I think like three different conversations uh, between the first officers, or at least two. And yeah. the first one is sort of like bro, and then the second one is like bro. <laughs> And then the third one is like, bro. bro. 
<laughs> like we get this yeah. full-on little arc of their relationship, which is just entirely built on "I know you." I'm the 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 first officer in me sees the first officer in you. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, even says like from one first officer to another. To another, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like there's some. We don't get any of their uh, subspace uh, correspondence uh, hither. You know, uh, further down the road, they are clearly pen pals. Mm. For oh, a long for sure. Time. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They can teach each other Talk, so much. Checking in on one another. Yeah. Hey, I got a problem still here. Still first officer. How are you oh. doing? Oh. Can we talk about it? First officer. First officer. The <laughs> uh, car's acting crazy again. I don't know. I I think I got to take over. What do you think? I mean, you've done it before. Tell me, what, what did you do? Why is Riker Brooklyn? Is Riker from Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and would a Brooklyn person ask for advice in that way? It's very funny. Uh, there is a great line, though, that Riker does. Because you're, I think, Kate, this is in the bro uh, uh, portion of their conversation. But he's like, oh, that's odd. Because usually, you know, I know Ferengi you like to turn a profit. He likes to, yeah. Riker, like, twist the knife. And the response was, <laughs> <laughs> no line just you know show disgruntledness right because he was pissed yeah. there's no money it's like you're right you're right <laughs> whenever i lose an argument i'm just gonna be like <laughs> awesome well any other final thoughts on uh the battle eric i'll, well, I'll throw I to you i found myself I, I found myself really thinking through in this one about how long I've been a Star Trek fan and how much there is still for me to learn because I went through kind of on a on a whim looking at the Universal Translator in universe and kind of the history of it through what what they've discussed on on screen and various series and what they've done in the movies and things like that and it was a stupid little wonderful um, wormhole that I that I threw myself through and <clears throat> You know, I've watched all of the original series and all of The Next Generation several times, and then Deep Space Nine probably twice, and then uh, Voyager, all of it at least once. And then after that, it's real spotty for me, even even through to today. Like, I haven't watched any of the Lower Decks yet. I've watched very little of Discovery and Picard. But I'm excited. Uh, this has made me excited to really pick up some of the stuff that, that I've missed, like uh, to go back and, and see some of the... Uh, other comics and and novelizations too down the road it's 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 nice to fully immerse myself in this world again but there was a, a quote that picard had where he said uh, after he got back to the enterprise he said that the whole thing was like going back to the house you grew up in but no one's home except phantoms of the past and this summer in july we left new jersey and drove to seattle to be with krista's parents mm -hmm. and on the way we stopped at the house I grew up in, which my mom had sold about a month earlier <clears throat> and uh, saw my dad's grave for the first time. Oosh. And mm. like uh, watching this series has really, really, really made me understand, you know, cause we're th the four of us are looking at it from a childhood standpoint. Like I bet most of the people watching have memories of this with their parents. Um, and when Picard says stuff like that, like it, it really, um, it's just a lovely moment to, to mm. remember, uh, watching this the first time, which is the whole point of going through this. So I, I had a really good time this week. That's awesome. Uh, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think nine year old me did not get the importance of that line. Uh, but 
42 year old me is like, Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I know those feels. It's like walking through, yeah. I, mean, I mentioned college, you know, it's like, it's like going to your elementary school or your, uh, a place that you had so much importance for you or a childhood home, something like that. But you just haven't been there in years. And just you get the, you yeah. almost see the phantoms that Picard does, uh, on the star Uh, so very poignant. Any final I didn't thoughts? want to follow Eric. Um, that... <laughs> I tried to. I tried to smooth that over. No, for you, you did. That was really good. That was really good. Uh, love you, Kate. I love you too, buddy. I love you too. Uh, yeah, I just. Uh, this is a a really lovely episode, and uh, just like um, all I can think of right now is this story. So I'm just going to tell it. I I went to my college reunion mm. a couple years ago, uh, which was a. <laughs> terrible mistake just because you know <laughs> uh so i went and i had lived in these little dorms that they called the village because there were only six of them and they only held uh something like 18 students in individual rooms so it was you know kind of swanky as a freshman you got your own dorm room and initially the 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 buildings had been there as married housing like right after the war and blah 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 so it's been 20, 25 years since I graduated college. I'm at the official welcome dinner with my friends. And they're like, the new president of the university is up there who none of us have met. And he says, and this is the year that we're finally tearing down the village. And without thinking, the four of us just went, boo! In the middle of this fancy fucking dinner with the new president. <laughs> so maybe <coughs> maybe I should have uh, as Picard says let the dead rest and the past remain the past uh, maybe <laughs> that's what I'm taking from this episode here's to the village man pour one out for the village <laughs> boo I, boo that is kind of awesome they're just like suck it <laughs> That thing you've been working really hard on, infrastructure, boo, my memories. <laughs> Jimmy, what are your final thoughts on the battle? Uh, one of the better episodes so far. It's very promising for where they're going moving forward. Um, and uh, I hate What's the Crusher. I do not hate Will Wheaton. Make that um, clear. And, uh, I, and I understand it. I understand if it. If you, <laughs> you, you want to see a fun, unexpected video series with Will Wheaton, check out Brewing TV. Will Wheaton did a about four-part series where he gets together with the boys from Northern Brewer and uh, brews up an IPA. And it's uh, about four episodes long. I just remembered it tonight. And uh, I remember that when I got back into my brewing, when I moved here to Seattle, it was a video that I watched uh, several times over to get tips on uh, how to brew and how to use some of the equipment. How to solve. Just throwing that out there because I am a huge, huge hater of Wesley (laughs) Crusher. Like I really, really despise that character. And I, I think it behooves me to put out there that it's not against the actor. It really is just the character. In none of those videos does he, you know, have like a, you know, what you really should be doing is using physics to fix this brew. Right. I'm surprised you didn't know how to brew this before. It seems very simple. I don't know anything about brain scans, but this brew is delicious. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
I know nothing about fermentation. <laughs> uh, Seems to me adults. all you have to do is pour this in. Adults. Uh, and it's, I mean, I didn't even realize it, but it's hot off the heel. Another Riker. That's another Riker thing. Yeah. He's just, he's learning so much from this man. How to be a misogynist. I figure Riker yeah. looks at him and figures, I probably have a kid just like him somewhere. <laughs> On at least three. He might as well be mine. A couple of them have fins. <laughs> <laughs> Green skin. Have you ever slept with an Ossifarian? <laughs> well, uh, you know, for my closing thing, we didn't really mention a lot about the Picard maneuver itself, uh, which was a pretty big uh, thing. It's probably the, the the part of this episode that is referenced the most in canon going forward. It's not that cool. Um, <laughs> it's the most overrated maneuver. You, just warp, you. you warp speed a little right bit. Right behind Heimlich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you appear in two things at once and, and uh, uh, all that is kind of confusing to me. I don't know if that's actually how physics works. It took Data 20 seconds to figure out how to counter it. It's, well, Data or Wesley are not the same yeah. thing as anyone who's ever worked for the Federation before. Okay, Jimmy? Right. They're like, how did we even get into space without these <laughs> two? And I, one of the things, because I was the same way, I'm like, this seems odd because, you know, since light moves fast, the 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 image, the after image of the non-existent ship wouldn't last very long, and so I looked it up, and what it really was when it happened was that sensors were uh, relatively uh, unadvanced uh, uh, compared to what they are at at this point. Uh, you know, the next generation point. Well, and then with Wesley Crusher the making them long range sensors, it needs to be. It, well, there you go. But it's the, specifically that it's the sensors that got confused because of this movement and not like, you know, Jordy standing at the window. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, for me, though, even though this Picard maneuver is the thing that is mentioned, I will always uh, still, when I pull down my shirt after it, like at a wedding or like somewhere where I need to pull down my shirt, that is... Uh, the Picard maneuver. That's for the Picard. Me. Picard. That's the yeah. Picard maneuver. That's Picard maneuver. Yeah, because nice. he does that pretty much consistently throughout, uh, and he looks good doing it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's a handsome man. So that is our discussion no, on the battle. Thank you to the three of you. Very wonderful, always to laugh and talk sci-fi with you. Next up, we have one of my favorite episodes: Hide and Q. The return of John DeLancey uh, coming up. I can't wait. Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. The music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage.